and welcome to PassPack Podcast, your audio passport from position assistant student to certified and beyond with your host, Rebecca Harrell, MPA, PAC. Today, our destination is a high-yield dive into the Family Medicine EOR topic blueprint. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, it's Becca. We have a lot to cover today with Family Medicine High Yields. We'll go into descending order of the blueprint and touch on some of the highest yield topics with a rapid mixed review towards the end. As always, you'll find the notes to the show on the website, including all of our resources. All right, let's get into it, starting with cardio, making up for 15% of this EOR. Your 35-year-old patient comes into the ER today for evaluation of recurrent chest discomfort and tightness at rest, typically in the mornings. She has a history of hypertension and currently uses both tobacco and cocaine recreationally. What do you suspect is the cause of her chest pain? Transmetal angina, aka vasospastic angina, should be considered here, secondary to coronary artery vasospasm. This type of angina typically presents in a pattern within the circadian rhythm, usually from around midnight to early morning, and it will typically present in a patient younger than a patient with diagnosis of acute coronary syndrome would, and they usually have a history of stimulant prescriptions or sympathomimetic drugs like sumatriptan or ergo derivatives, or they'll have recreational cocaine use mentioned. Differentiate from stable angina, which occurs with activity and is relieved with rest, and from unstable angina and other types of ACS, which usually present in an older patient with a history of stable angina that progresses and usually has some risk factors for ACS noted as well. Transmittal angina can show transient EKG changes during an episode with transient ST elevation in multiple leads, which normalizes after the episode. Anginal events will also rapidly be relieved with short-acting nitrates as vasospasms relax and dilate. Troponin will usually be normal in these patients, but they can be elevated if there's prolonged vasospasm. Treat with sublingual nitro for reduction of duration of symptoms and advise on smoking cessation. Give an increased risk for ASCVD progression. Aggressive risk factor modification is important, so consider initiating a statin. Mainstay treatment for prinzmetal angina is with calcium channel blockers such as diltiazem and amlodipine. Avoid using non-selective beta blockers like propranolol as this can exacerbate vasospasms. Drugs that trigger episodes should also be avoided. How does second-degree Mobitz II heart block appear on an EKG? This will show as a fixed PR interval with periodic QRS drops and typically widened QRS morphology second to a concomitant bundle branch block. Bradycardia is more common than tachycardia here, and Mobitz II is a secondary to a blockage below the AV node, so bundle of hiss, perkigi, or even lower. Patients may complain of palpitations, dizziness, lightheadedness, syncope, or may be completely asymptomatic. Mobitz II is more serious than Mobitz 1 as it is more likely to progress into complete heart block. Thus, treatment with immediate transcutaneous pacer and insertion of a permanent pacemaker later is done if symptoms arise. AV nodal blockers such as CCBs, digoxin, beta blockers, and adenosine should be avoided in all heart blocks to prevent complete dissociation. The other heart blocks are also high yield to recognize on EKG. First degree will have prolonged PRI, no treatment necessary, Second degree, type 1, is called a wanky bot. This is a progressive prolongation of the PRI with a dropped beat before the pattern starts over. We already discussed second degree Mobitz 2, so no third degree or complete heart block will appear as a complete dissociation between the P wave and QRS complex. It will look sporadic, but if you measure the distance between each P to P and each QRS to QRS, they will be on their own fixed rate, and these patients need a permanent pacer. I remember this by saying the heart block rhyme made up by Princeton Surgical Group and Nurses Labs, and it goes, if the R is far from P, then you have a first degree. Longer, longer, longer drop, then you have a wanky bot. If some P's don't get through, then you have a Mobitz 2. If P's and Q's don't agree, 
Then you have a third degree. Your patient with a history of IV drug use comes into the ER due to new onset fever and rash with a persistent cough. Physical reveals painful nodules at the tip of his fingers, painless erythematous macules on his palms and soles, splinter hemorrhages of his nails, and fundoscopy shows exudative retinal lesions. What makes up the major criteria for the suspected diagnosis? The Duke criteria for infective endocarditis includes both major and minor features. Major criteria includes having two separate positive blood cultures for common infective endocarditis organisms such as staph, strep, the Hasek group, or enterococci, or one positive blood culture from C. Bernetti plus or minus an IgG antibody titer over 1 to 800. Another major Duke criteria is evidence of endocardial involvement by either positive echo showing vegetations, abscess, or partial dehiscence of prosthetic valve, or new valvular regurgitation. Minor criteria includes predisposition, like IV drug use or history of valve replacement, fever, vascular phenomena, like Janeway lesions, splinter hemorrhages, immunologic phenomena, like glomerulonephritis, Osler nodes, Roth spots, or rheumatoid factor positive, and or microbiological evidence with blood cultures that are positive but don't meet the major criteria. Remember, Janeway lesions are going to be your painless lesions. Osler nodes are going to be the painful lesions, and I remember that because Osler's ouch. Empiric treatment includes IV vancomycin or ampicillin sulbactam plus an aminoglycoside like gentamicin. Patients with IV drug use or prosthetic valves should have cephalosporins added, such as cefepime or ceftriaxone. High-risk patients should receive prophylaxis before procedures, like dental procedures, with amoxicillin 2 grams about 30 to 60 minutes before their procedure. Your 62-year-old male patient with 30-pack year history comes to the clinic for routine physical and you note a widened aorta when palpating his abdomen. What is the study of choice to diagnose the suspected condition? Abdominal ultrasound is the study of choice for abdominal aortic aneurysms. You'll monitor annually if it's 3 to 4 centimeters, every 6 months if 4 to 4.5 centimeters, and refer to vascular surgery if over 4.5 centimeters. If over 5 centimeters, symptomatic, or has grown over half an inch in 6 months, you'll need to get a CT with contrast to prep for surgical intervention. Your 14-year-old patient with a history of Turner syndrome is found to have blood pressure of 140 over 90 with pulses bounding in the upper extremities and faint in the lower extremities. Chest x-ray reveals rib notching and a figure three sign. Which type of murmur is associated with your top differential? The murmur of coarctation of the aorta is a systolic ejection murmur at the left upper sternal border that radiates to the back and left axilla. Coarctation of the aorta is a non-cyanotic left-to-right shunting congenital heart defect that most commonly occurs proximal to the descending aorta in patients with bicuspid aortic valves. Though males are more commonly affected than females, coarctation has been associated with Turner syndrome, which remember is the chromosomal disorder 45X0, and risk of intracranial aneurysms. Patients are asymptomatic until the ductus arteriosus closes and may either present with symptoms of heart failure as an infant with lower extremity modeling, or if less symptomatic, will present later in life with symptoms noted in the stem, plus or minus lower extremity claudication. You can confirm your suspected diagnosis with echo color flow Doppler. Treat neonates with prostaglandin E1 to keep the PDA open, and then surgical intervention once stable via balloon angioplasty, stenting, or surgical correction. Which are the four components of Tetralogy of Fallot? This is pulmonary stenosis, right ventricular hypertrophy, overarching aorta, and ventricular septal defect. I remember this by the term prove it, or capital P-R-O-V, it. Tetralogy of Fallot is the most common cyanotic heart defect and presents in infants with cyanosis, with crying or feeding, and toddlers might present with tet spells leading to squatting. Murmur is usually heard at the left sternal border as a harsh systolic ejection murmur, where the blood is flowing across the pulmonary outflow tract. 
What is the recommended treatment for a patient with an ASCVD score over 20%? The answer here is start a high-density statin, like atorvastatin or rosuvastatin, and the goal is to reduce the LDL by 50%. The ASCVD score risk calculates a patient's 10-year risk of cardiovascular events based on age, sex, blood pressure, lipids, diabetes, smoking status, and medications. Currently, the AACE guidelines for goal LDL in extreme ASCVD risk patients is an LDL less than 55 your 65-year-old male patient comes in and complains of pain in his calves when walking that improves with rest. Physical exam reveals cool, shiny, and hairless lower extremities with diminished dorsalis pedis pulses bilaterally. There are ulcers with a punched-out appearance over the top of a few of his toes and lateral malleoli. What is the gold standard diagnostic study for your top differential? This is contrast angiography. This patient has evidence of peripheral arterial disease, or PAD, and likely has claudication due to atherosclerosis of the popliteal arteries. Initial study of choice in these patients is to get an ankle brachial index. Less than 0.9 indicates over 50% stenosis, and less than 4 indicates ischemia. Duplex ultrasound can also be helpful to evaluate the location and extent of disease. Management includes lowering the CVD risk, Increasing exercise, plus minus aspirin, and revascularization may be necessary in patients with ischemia or risk of loss of limb. Claudication may be relieved with silostazole, which is a PDE inhibitor. Okay, that wraps up our high-yield cardio for family medicine. Be sure to stick around to the end for some more in our rapid review. Time for some high-yield pulmonology, which makes up 12% of the EOR. What is the triad of asthma pathogenesis? Airway inflammation, bronchial hyperresponsiveness, and reversible airflow obstruction. Asthma is usually seen in patients with other diagnoses included in the atopic triad, which is made up of asthma, allergic rhinitis, and atopic dermatitis. Atopy is the strongest predisposing factor for asthma. Clinical presentation often includes nocturnal awakenings from coughing, shortness of breath, and wheezing, which on auscultation is usually a diffuse musical sound that is more apparent with expiration. Management recommendations have also been changing, so be sure to stay updated on what the current recommendations are in clinicals first what is expected to know for the exam. Knowing how to differentiate intermittent, mild persistent, moderate persistent, and severe persistent is also important for exams due to the different treatment regimens for each. Because recs have been changing recently, I don't want to get into them too much for fear of steering you wrong in the future, so just make sure you're staying up to date with what your professors and AAPA and NCCPA sources tell you is high yield at the moment. Unfortunately, exams are about two to three years behind current recommendations, which can be frustrating, especially in clinical year. Which hereditary disorder is associated with the development of COPD in a young patient, even without a history of smoking? That's alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency. COPD is the overarching term for a patient with either chronic bronchitis, or blue bloater, and emphysema, or pink puffer. It is the third leading cause of death in the United States and is most commonly caused by cigarette smoking. COPD results from inflammation and airflow limitation with increased number of goblet cells, mucus gland hyperplasia, and fibrotic narrowing. This can be differentiated from asthma on spirometry due to the lack of reversibility following a SABA. Chest x-ray will be notable for hyperinflated lungs by visualizing about 11 posterior ribs, flattened diaphragm, and barrel chest noted on lateral chest x-ray. Those with emphysema may even have blebs visualized due to the alveolar septi destruction. Definitive diagnosis is with pulmonary function testing showing an FEV1 less than 80% of predicted value and increased total lung capacity. Treat with ICS plus ALABA to limit exacerbation and use oxygen therapy and smoking cessation to reduce mortality. Opioids can be used later on in palliative care to reduce the sensation of dyspnea. What should be co-administered with isoniazid in order to decrease the risk of peripheral neuropathy as an adverse effect? <music> the 
This is vitamin B6 or pyridoxine. Isoniazid is part of the ripe mnemonic for treatment of tuberculosis. Each of the ripe drugs have unique adverse effects that love to be tested on for exams. Rifampin results in red-orange vision changes that I remember by the term revampin, like vampire. Isoniazid, as we said, has peripheral neuropathy as one of its high-yield adverse effects. Pyrazinamide is less high-yield for exams in terms of adverse effects because this usually just causes GI upset and arthralgias. Ethambutol is another high yield with adverse effects of optic neuritis, red-green color blindness, vertical nystagmus, and even hyperuricemia. I remember this as E for eyes. Which chest x-ray finding increases your suspicion of squamous cell carcinoma of the lung? Central solitary nodule with irregular borders should indicate a diagnosis of potential squamous cell carcinoma. Lung cancer is the leading cause of death among both men and women, and the most common form is adenocarcinoma, which will arise usually in the periphery. The most aggressive form to know is small cell carcinoma, which also arises centrally and also commonly shows mediastinal widening and METs are usually already present by the time of diagnosis. I remember which ones are central by pretending central is spelled with an S and the S stands for small cell and squamous cell. Clinical presentation for lung cancer is usually cough, maybe hemoptysis, and always suspect cancer in a patient presenting with unintentional weight loss. Squamous cell carcinoma can also be associated with hypercalcemia, whereas small cell lung cancer is usually associated with peroneoplastic syndromes like Lambert-Eaton myasthenic syndrome. Lung cancers may also present with hyponatremia from SIADH. Definitive diagnosis for lung cancer is with biopsy. We'll hit on some more pulmonary questions in our rapid review, but let's go ahead and move on with some GI and nutrition, which make up for 11% of the EOR. Your patient complains of pyrosis after meals, which occurs a few times each week. He has also been having a perception of reflux with acidic taste in his mouth. Additional symptoms reported are water brash and globus sensation. What is the first-line treatment for suspected diagnosis? In a patient with frequent symptoms, a step-down approach is typically preferred with the initiation of PPIs such as omeprazole or pantoprazole in an addition to lifestyle management for the treatment of GERD. In patients with fewer than two GERD episodes weekly, a step-up approach of treatment is indicated with lifestyle changes as first-line antacids to relieve symptoms on demand, histamine 2 receptor antagonists like famotidine or cimetidine, and even surface agents and alginates like sucralophate to promote mucosal healing and protection. Your patient describes recurrent gnawing epigastric pain that radiates to her back and is usually alleviated with food but returns a few hours later and can even awaken her at night. Urea breath test is positive and you schedule her for a confirmatory EGD. Which medication should be started in this patient following her biopsy if positive? And that is CAP or clarithromycin, amoxicillin, and a PPI like omeprazole, plus minus bismuth for 14 days. Test of cure should be administered in all patients with H. pylori-induced peptic ulcer disease four weeks after completing therapy. Screening for H. pylori can be done with the urea breath test or fecal antigen testing, but biopsy with EGD is diagnostic. Peptic ulcer disease is the most common cause of upper GI bleeding, with the most common location being duodenal versus the stomach. Remember from last episode when we talked about cram the pants's mnemonic, dude, give me food whereas duodenal will be relieved with food. Your 22-year-old female patient complains of chronic, crampy abdominal pain, which typically improves following a bowel movement. On the Bristol stool form scale, she says they range anywhere from one to two and five to six, depending on the day. She has tried FODMAP diet in the past, but has had a hard time sticking to it and is hoping for management of her symptoms of abdominal pain and bloating. Which medication should be initiated? Because her symptoms that she wants to manage are the abdominal pain and bloating, I would choose an antispasmodic agent like dicyclamine or Ventol. If she was more concerned with relieving constipation, you could initiate osmotic laxatives like polyethylene glycol, aka Miralax, or even lubiprostone, linaclotide, or a bulking agent like Psyllium. 
To relieve diarrhea, you can offer lopiramide, which is a mute receptor agonist that slows down large bowel motility, or bile acid sequestrants like cholestyramine, or serotonin-3 receptor antagonists like allocitron. Remember to differentiate between IBS and a form of infectious causes of diarrhea in which you would not want to treat the diarrhea with an anti-motility because that will increase the likelihood of bacterial persistence and overgrowth. In patients with right-sided colorectal cancer, what symptoms do they typically present with? In right-sided, chronic blood loss can lead to symptoms of iron deficiency anemia. Left-sided lesions usually change the quality, quantity, and frequency of the stool. Symptoms related to colorectal cancer typically don't appear until later in the disease course, which is why screening is so important. USPSTF suggests all patients ages 45 to 75 should receive screening with colonoscopy every 10 years as the best choice. If patients are not amenable to colonoscopy, you can do annual fit tests, multi-target fecal DNA every three years, or CT colonography every five years. In patients with positive family history and a first-degree relative for colorectal cancer should begin screening at 40 years old or 10 years prior to the diagnosis in that family member. In patients with familial edematous polyposis, sigmoidoscopy should begin at age 12 and every one to two years after that. If any abnormalities are found, colonoscopy is indicated. What is a positive Murphy sign and what does it indicate? Palpation of the bladder during inspiration leads to a sudden cessation of breath and wincing. So the sign here is actually the cessation of the breath. This indicates cholecystitis, which is an obstruction of the cystic duct, typically presenting with colicky right upper quadrant pain after eating fatty meals, and may also have a BOAS sign present, which is hyperesthesia inferior to the right scapula. Initial diagnostic test for cholecystitis or cholelithiasis is right upper quadrant ultrasound, with the gold standard being the HIDA scan. What is the most specific lab for acute pancreatitis? That's elevated lipase three times the upper limits of normal. Acute pancreatitis is most commonly caused by gallstones, with a close second being alcohol. Typically, patients present with sudden onset of sharp epigastric pain radiating to the back that is worse with lying down and improved with leaning forward. Necrotizing pancreatitis may show Gray-Turner sign, which is flank ecchymosis, or colon sign, which is umbilical ecchymosis. Ranson criteria is one of the tools used to predict severity. Treat by addressing the underlying etiology, aggressive fluid resuscitation, and analgesics. All right, that's enough GI. Let's move on to EENT, which makes up 8% of the Family Med EOR. Your 17-year-old patient with a history of asthma comes into the office due to paroxysmal sneezing, runny nose, and bilateral itchy pink eyes for the past couple weeks. Social history is unremarkable aside from recently adopting a new cat. Physical exam reveals infraorbital edema and darkening with accentuated folds below his lower lids. There is a transverse nasal crease and his nasal mucosa is pale bluish with turbinate edema and clear rhinorrhea visible. Given your suspected diagnosis, what is considered as the first line treatment? is intranasal corticosteroids. This patient has allergic rhinitis as indicated by his history of atopy, symptoms and physical findings, and recent exposure to a new allergen. First-line treatment of allergic rhinitis is intranasal glucocorticosteroids like mometasone or fluticasone. You could confirm diagnosis with a skin prick test as well. Since this patient likely has allergic conjunctivitis as well, you could consider giving him ophthalmic antihistamine drops such as azelastine. He should also be advised on proper use of nasal saline irrigation, which could help decrease nasal allergens and also cleanse the passageways of debris prior to his inhaled medication. If needed, additional therapies could be added on, such as oral antihistamines, addition of antihistamine sprays, or a combination spray with glucocorticoids and an antihistamine. Since he has asthma, especially if the allergen is causing uncontrollable flares or persistent asthma symptoms, you could consider monoclonal antibodies in addition to his asthma meds. Your seven-year-old patient is brought into the office due to ear pain and itching. He denies any known injury and his parents state this all started after returning from the beach. 
Physical exam reveals tenderness when manipulating the tragus and auricle. Otoscopy reveals yellow debris in the inner ear with an erythematous canal. His TM appears erythematous, but there is a cone of light present and no air fluid level is seen. What diagnosis do you suspect? This is otitis externa. This patient likely has otitis externa or swimmer's ear given his tragal tenderness and painful erythematous canal in the setting of a recent beach trip. The differential here is otitis media, which is unlikely in this patient given the lack of bulging or air fluid level seen when visualizing the TM. Also, tragal manipulation is not likely going to increase the pain in otitis media the way it does in otitis externa. A potentially fatal complication of otitis externa is malignant external otitis, which is more commonly seen in the older diabetic population and occurs when the infection spreads from the skin into the bone and marrow spaces in the skull, leading to severe otalgia and otorrhea that appears out of proportion to exam findings, and physical exam will show granulation tissue at the bony cartilage junctions in the floor of the ear canal. Treatment of otitis externa involves cleaning the canal and treating with otic drops. In patients with mild severity and an intact TM, acetic acid hydrocortisone can be applied three to four times daily. If there's moderate disease, first line is an antibiotic otic drop that covers for both S. aureus and pseudomonas, like ciprofloxacin hydrocortisone and neomycin polymyxin B hydrocortisone, which are both considered first line. Your 56-year-old patient has an acute painful swelling under her chin with tenderness and overlying erythema. She states the pain is worse after eating and she thinks she can taste pus. Physical exam reveals expression of pus from Wharton's duct and a fever of 104. What is the most common organism causing this patient's suspected diagnosis? Staph aureus is the most common organism infecting salivary glands. The most common cause of salodentitis is inflammation due to salivary stasis and can be caused by viruses such as mumps and peritidis or autoimmune diseases like Shrogan syndrome. Diagnosis is made clinically, but you may need to get an ultrasound or CT to rule out abscess or obstruction from a salivary stone. Ludwig's angina is a fatal differential here, which is the most common neck space infection and leads to sublingual or submandibular cellulitis which usually presents in a patient with brawny neck edema and tongue protrusion or elevation. Clinical interventions of non-infected sialodentitis is with hydration, warm compression, massage of the glands, and use of sialogogues to increase salivary flow. If infection occurs, like in our patient, anti-staph agents like dicloxacillin may be prescribed. All right, we'll hit on a couple more of those questions in our rapid review at the end, but let's move on to some OBGYN, which makes up 8% of the family medicine EOR exam. Your 55-year-old patient arrived to the OBGYN for her annual physical when you discover a palpable lump in her upper outer quadrant of her left breast. It seems to be hard, fixed, and was not present at her last physical. What should you do as initial workup? Diagnostic mammography is used in initial workup unless the patient is under 35 years old, in which that case you would choose ultrasound. Breast biopsy will ultimately be needed in this patient as she likely has breast cancer given the atypical nodule and the most common location of a breast cancer tumor. Corneal biopsy can be done or if Paget's disease of the breast is suspected, you can do a punch biopsy. Excisional biopsy can also be considered. Your patient arrives to the OBGYN due to foul smelling, vaginal discharge, and irritation. Pelvic exam reveals thin, white, homogeneous discharge and a width test is positive. What is the pathogenesis of her diagnosis? Bacterial vaginosis is caused by alterations in the vaginal environment, which can lead to decreased lactobacilli, leading to volatile amine production by new bacterial microbiota, which raises the vaginal pH to above 4.5. The most commonly associated bacteria in BV is Gardnerella vaginalis, though many are implicated. It is high yield to be able to quickly differentiate BV from yeast infection, trichomonas, and chlamydial or gonorrheal infection based on physical findings and microbiology. So a comparison chart is your best friend here. In BV, clue cells, which are vaginal epithelial cells studded with coxobacilli, are seen on the saline wet mount. Preferred treatment for BV is with metronidazole PO or intravaginally, with second line being clindamycin vaginal cream. 
Your 66-year-old G5P5 female patient comes into the OBGYN due to increased sensation of heaviness in her vagina with increased difficulty expelling urine. Physical reveals a hernia of her anterior vaginal wall. What should be done to quickly relieve her symptoms? Pessary placement for this patient's cystocele should provide support to the vaginal wall and reduce her symptoms of urine retention. Pelvic floor muscle exercises like Kegels should also be started in order to build up the strength back into her pelvic floor. If ever asked first line treatment for any pelvic muscle weakness, the answer is Kegels. Surgical intervention can be considered down the road if conservation fails. Differentials here include pterocele, which is a small bowel herniation into the vaginal wall, rectocele, which is evidenced by a posterior vaginal wall hernia, or even herniation of the uterus, which would be seen on exam by a bulging or protrusion of the cervix farther down into the vagina. If you're unsure, you can always use ultrasound to help with your diagnosis. Okay, enough of those for right now. Let's get on to rheumatology and ortho, which make up 8% of your EOR. Your 42-year-old female patient with a history of thyroid disease presents with soft, red, tender swelling in her MCPs, PIPs, and MTP joint, which is typically worse in the morning and improves throughout the day. Physical reveals hyperextension of the PIP and flexion of the dip joints in her hands. Which test is diagnostic of the suspected condition? This is positive anti-cyclic citrullinated peptide antibodies and is diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis. Screening can also be accomplished to support your diagnosis with a positive rheumatoid factor seen in 70% of patients and elevated inflammatory markers like ESR and CRP. Remember, these are very sensitive and support the disease but are not specific enough to be considered diagnostic. RA is the most common inflammatory arthritis most commonly caused by autoimmune destruction and typically affects women 40 to 50 years old. Synovitis is the most common presentation and you should be able to differentiate this from osteoarthritis by its unique features of being worse with rest and improved with activity versus OA which is improved with rest and worse with activity. Joint deformity signs are also high yield. The stem describes a swan neck deformity with hyperextended pips and flexion of dips, but there is also the boutonniere sign, which is the flexion of pips and extension of dips, the bowstring sign, which is pronounced extensor tendons of the dorsal hand, and then also the classic finding of bilateral ulnar deviation. Treatment is with DMARDS therapy, such as methotrexate. Your patient is a 40-year-old male who arrives to the clinic due to a painful and swollen first pedal digit. He reports recently coming back from vacation where he indulged in seafood and beer. What do you suspect to see on synovial fluid analysis using polarized light microscopy? This patient likely has gout, which could be definitively diagnosed with negatively birefringent and needle-shaped crystals on polarized light microscopy. Chronic gout can also lead to TOFI found on physical exam. Differential here is pseudogout, which is positively birefringent with rhomboid-shaped crystals visualized on light microscopy. Risk factors for gout include use of thiazide diuretics, high purine foods, and alcohol. Agents of choice for treating an acute flare is with NSAIDs, oral glucocorticoids, or even colchicine. After a flare has resolved, the patient should be started on urate-lowering therapies such as allopurinol, which is preferred first line, or even probenicid or febuxostat. Your 33-year-old patient arrives to the office because of pain along his plantar region of his foot that is worse immediately after stepping out of bed and later improves with walking or stretching his calf. If he sits for a long period of time, he'll notice the pain again when he gets up. Physical reveals tenderness to palpation along the sole of his foot and calcaneus, which is the first line treatment of the suspected diagnosis. Treatment of plantar fasciitis starts conservatively with stretching exercises, avoiding flat shoes or barefoot walking, and use of silicone shoe inserts at the heel. If conservative measures fail to provide relief, you can consider NSAIDs or even injected glucocorticoids with a local anesthetic. You want to be able to differentiate this with a Morton's neuroma, which will be in a patient complaining about an interdigital mass 
in the foot that feels like a marble while walking and improves with massage. The first line treatment for a Morton's neuroma is with use of metatarsal shoe inserts and wearing shoes with a wider toe box. Your 27-year-old male patient arrives to the office concerned about lower back pain that is worse with rest and improves with movement. He denies any medical history and states his dad suffered from something similar but forgot what it was named. X-ray reveals SI joint fusion and continuous fusion of his lumbar spine. The presence of which protein surface antigen do you expect to see on this patient's lab testing? HLA-B27 is what should be suspected to be found in a patient with ankylosing spondylitis, but can also be found in other diseases making up the pear pneumonic, which stands for psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, IBD, and reactive arthritis, aka Reiter's syndrome. Ankylosing spondylitis is the second most common spondyloarthropathy, with the first most common being psoriatic arthritis. Treatment begins with NSAIDs and PT with potential for TNF-alpha blockers, and these patients should be referred to rheumatology. All right, time for a couple neurology questions, which makes up 6% of your family medicine EOR. Your 22-year-old female patient arrives to the office to evaluate for potential seizures. She states she's been having symptoms of lightheadedness with sweating, palpitations, and nausea prior to her vision tunneling and then losing consciousness, usually occurring after being startled. What do you suspect is the patient's diagnosis? vasovagal syncope. This is a type of neurally mediated reflex syncope that occurs as a reflex to a trigger that leads to vasodilation and bradycardia, which then leads to hypotension systemically and cerebrally, leading to the classic prodrome with fainting. VVS is the most common cause of syncope in all ages. You want to ensure you're able to differentiate this between a cardiac syncope, which usually has no prodrome, and a seizure, which typically presents with a postictal state and possible physical findings like injuries to the lateral tongue from biting. Your patient comes into the office due to a unilateral facial weakness which involves the forehead. No other focal neuro deficits are noted. What is the first line intervention for your suspected diagnosis? This will be P.O.prednisone. This patient has Bell's palsy, which is the transient weakness of cranial nerve 7, which is most commonly idiopathic, but also associated with inflammation or infection like with HSV or Lyme disease. Patients should be screened for Lyme disease, especially if bilateral facial weakness is found and treated if found to be positive. You should also look into the patient's ear on exam to evaluate for the presence of vesicles, which may indicate etiology of HSV or even zoster. Glucocorticoids should be started in all patients with new onset Bell's palsy, and antivirals can be considered if severe symptoms are present or suspicious of HSV etiology. Remember, if the forehead moves, you move, because this likely indicates the patient is actually having a stroke. Okay, those make up your heavy hitters on this blueprint. Let's get into some mixed review questions, which will have more heavy hitters as well as high yield from the remainder of the blueprint. What is the first line treatment in mastitis? Dicloxacillin. What makes up Samter's triad? Asthma, ASA sensitivity, and nasal polyps. You'll treat this with Montelukast. What complication can arise from a patient who suffered from multiple febrile seizures? Recurrent seizures in the future. What is the most common type of GI cancer? Colorectal cancer, and that's also the second most common cause of cancer death in the United States. What is the diagnostic criteria between Steven Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necrolysis? SJS involves less than 10% of the body surface area, and TEN affects over 30% of the body surface area. Don't confuse this with erythema multiforme which presents with targetoid lesions that may involve the palms and soles and typically has no fever present and negative Nikolsky sign. What is the most likely diagnosis for a patient complaining of a painless, hard nodule on the dorsal aspect of the wrist? Ganglion cyst. Remember, if it's less than one centimeter, you can just observe these, and if it's over one centimeter, then you can do surgical excision. Which valvular disorder is associated with a mid-systolic click best heard at the apex? 
that's mitral valve prolapse, may also be associated with a murmur of mitral regurgitation, which is a low-pitched holosystolic murmur that radiates towards the axilla. What can occur in a patient who uses daily inhaled corticosteroids and does not rinse their mouth out afterwards? Thrush or oral candidiasis. What is the most common location of invasive ductal carcinoma? That's the upper outer quadrant. What is the screening study of choice for dementia? That's cognitive impairment testing and you diagnose with histology and MRI. How does trichomonas vaginitis typically present? Cloudy, yellow-green, frothy discharge with a friable strawberry cervix. What is the treatment of choice in a patient with a thrombosed external hemorrhoid that presents in under 72 hours? That's incision and drainage. If patient presents with non-thrombosed or over 72 hours since onset, you can prescribe hemorrhoid cream, advise on sitz bath, and stool softeners are also recommended. Internal hemorrhoids can be treated with a band excision. If the location is above the dentate line, it's considered an internal hemorrhoid, and these are typically non-painful. If lower than the dentate line, these are considered external and are typically painful. What treatment decreases the mortality in patients with risk of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease? That's statins, also known as hydroxymethylbutyryl coenzyme A reductase inhibitors. How does a patient with intussusception typically present? Usually presents in around 18 months old with colicky pain and a sausage-shaped abdominal mass plus or minus current jelly stools. Child may frequently raise their legs and flex their hips for relief. What are the only two interventions associated with decreased mortality in COPD? Oxygen therapy and smoking cessation. If asked between one versus the other, oxygen therapy is generally the answer, but I have seen either one as correct, so you need to differentiate if they're asking about treatment, which would be oxygen therapy, or risk factor mitigation, cessation of smoking. When in doubt, your best bet is probably choosing oxygen therapy. Which direction of an anal fissure typically corresponds with a systemic disease such as IBD? This is lateral anal fissures. Most commonly, fissures are not associated with systemic disease and present posteriorly. What does workup show in fibromyalgia? All workup will be negative here. On physical exam, you'll find presence of 11 or more trigger points positive for tenderness on palpation. What is the difference in presentation between hordeolum and chalazion? Hordeolum is typically painful with spontaneous drainage, most commonly at or around an eyelash follicle. Chalazion is typically painless, firm, and found most commonly above the eyelashes on the upper lid. How does essential tremor present and what is considered first-line treatment? This is a working tremor that worsens with stress and fine motor movements and is treated with propanolol as first-line. How does right heart failure typically present? Fluid overload throughout the body, whereas left heart failure would be fluid overload of the lungs. I remember this by left is L for lungs and right is R for rest. And remember the most common cause of right heart failure is left heart failure. What is the difference between placenta previa and placenta abruption? Placenta previa has pain less third trimester bleeding, whereas placental abruption will have painful third trimester bleeding. What is the diagnostic criteria for chronic bronchitis? Chronic productive cough on most days for three months out of the year for at least two consecutive years. What is the treatment of a brown recluse spider bite? Initial treatment is with wound care and pain control, plus or minus tetanus prophylaxis if indicated. Antibiotics should only be prescribed if signs of an infection are apparent. Which antihypertensive is most known as a risk factor for gouty flare? Thiazide diuretics. What is the most common cause of peptic ulcer disease? That's H. pylori, with a close second being the use of NSAIDs. What should be suspected in a patient with early satiety, postprandial fullness, bloating, and vague abdominal pain, especially in a patient with a history of diabetes? Gastroparesis. Which vitamin protects RBC membranes from oxidative damage in hemolytic anemias? 
Vitamin E. What DEXA score is consistent with osteopenia versus osteoporosis? Osteopenia is negative 1 to negative 2.5. Osteoporosis is negative 2.5 or lower. If patient is between negative 2 to negative 2.25, you should be repeating DEXA every two years. What is POTS disease? This is tuberculosis of the vertebra leading to osteomyelitis and arthritis. What symptoms are associated with hyperprolactinemia? This is secondary amenorrhea, galactorrhea, decreased libido, or even gynecomastia in males. What is Collot's triangle and what's found inside of it? This is the cystohepatic triangle and it's made up by the inferior surface of the liver, cystic duct at the right border, and common hepatic duct at the left. Inside the triangle is the cystic artery, which needs to be ligated and divided in order to avoid injury during cholecystectomy. If you're on a surgical rotation, know that some surgeons define the triangle as made up by the cystic duct to the right, common hepatic duct to the left, and cystic artery as the superior border. So if they pimp you, give them both answers and they might be impressed. What ABI result indicates ischemia? Less than 0.4. What are some physical exam findings seen in Cushing disease? Increased central adiposity, facial plethora, facial adiposity, increased adipose tissue in the neck slash upper back, violaceous striae, hirsutism, and easy bruising. What populations are at high risk of giardiasis infection? child care workers, and those who just went camping who present with non-bloody diarrhea and vomiting. Which type of alopecia is described as discrete, smooth, circular areas of hair loss with visualization of exclamation point hairs on physical exam and a positive hair pull test? Alopecia areata, which is an immune-mediated disorder leading to recurrent, non-scarring hair loss. What are the two common screening tools used in major depressive disorder? This is Beck's Depression Inventory and the PHQ-9. Which leukemia is the most common form of chronic leukemia in adults that presents with lymphadenopathy, splenomegaly, and peripheral smear showing smudge cells? That's CLL or chronic lymphocytic leukemia. What is Pancoe's syndrome and how does it present? This is a tumor in the superior sulcus leading to shoulder pain and Horner syndrome, which I remember by the term PAM, which means ptosis, anhydrosis, and meiosis. What side effects should be monitored in a patient with long-term use of PPIs? Vitamin deficiencies, especially B12 deficiency. What is a suspected cause of developing acanthosis nigricans? Insulin resistance. How does obstructive sleep apnea usually present? fatigue, snoring, with excessive daytime sleepiness, and morning headache. Physical usually shows an obese patient, which is the highest risk factor, with an enlarged neck circumference, or a patient with retronathia and a high arching palate, or enlarged tonsils and adenoids, which is the most common cause of anemia overall. Iron deficiency anemia. Remember that's a microcytic hypochromic anemia and ferritin is the most specific aspect of the iron study which will be decreased. Differentiate from other high yield anemias like macrocytic megaloblastic anemias such as B12 deficiency or folate deficiency anemia. What diagnostic study correlates with primary hyperthyroidism? low TSH and high free T4 or T3. I remember that in primary hyperthyroidism, we're looking at the actual thyroid hormones, so your T3 and T4 will be high, whereas the pituitary hormone TSH will be low. What is the location of a direct inguinal hernia? This is medial to the inferior epigastric vessels through Hesselbach's triangle. Remember, Hesselbach's triangle is made up of rip, rectus abdominis, inferior epigastric, and puparts, aka inguinal ligament. Scrotal involvement is not typically seen here as it is with indirect inguinal hernia, which is the most common type of hernia overall that results from hernia lateral to the inferior epigastric vessels traveling through the internal inguinal ring and can involve the scrotum. What is the diagnosis and treatment of a patient who complains of panic attacks every time she's about to leave her house? Agoraphobia, you treat with SSRIs or even as-needed benzos or hydroxazine. Differentiate with social anxiety disorder, which is the fear of social environments due to the fear of ridicule or embarrassment. What is the first-line treatment for Lyme disease in pregnant patients? 
This is amoxicillin, which is also first line in children. Otherwise, you would use doxycycline. What vaccines can be started at the one-year checkup? Live vaccines like varicella and MMR, but not the combination MMR with varicella. Which fractures are pathognomonic for non-accidental trauma? This is metaphysial, aka bucket handle or corner fractures. Also suspect in patients with posterior rib fractures or multiple fractures and bruising at various stages of healing. What is the most common cause of acute pancreatitis? Gallstones, with alcohol being close second. What is the difference between a threatened versus an inevitable abortion? Threatened is diagnosed with vaginal bleeding less than 20 weeks with a closed os, and ultrasound shows the presence of an intrauterine pregnancy. Inevitable is bleeding at less than 20 weeks gestation with an open os visualized and continued presence of an intrauterine pregnancy. Also be able to differentiate complete, partial, and missed abortions as well. What are some features of PTSD? High yield here is hypervigilance or hyperarousal. You can also have nightmares, flashbacks, intrusive thoughts, and avoidance of trigger reminders, which will lead to considerable dysfunction in certain aspects of your life. This should be lasting for over one month since the initial trauma to be diagnosed with PTSD versus less than one month, which would be diagnosed as acute stress disorder. How can you differentiate orbital cellulitis from preceptal cellulitis? While they both cause ocular pain, orbital cellulitis causes pain directly linked with eye movements, proptosis, and even possible vision impairment. What is the most common cause of cystitis? E. coli. A patient's UA will show positive leukocyte esterases and nitrates. Definitive diagnosis is with urine culture and sensitivity. Remember, all patients that are pregnant with asymptomatic bacteriuria should be treated for a UTI with nitrofurantoin for seven days. Woo! That wraps up our intense high-yield family medicine EOR review. For notes on this episode, including the sources and transcript, please head over to www.passpackpodcast.com. You can also find a whole bunch of information there geared towards whichever rotation you're on right now or in the future, and even wherever you are on your PA journey as a whole. Please subscribe to the show, like, comment, review, do all the things to help bring this content through people's tympanic membranes and into their cranium. You can also follow me on Instagram at passpack underscore passport for near daily questions, story mini quizzes, weekly healthcare updates, and skill review, and sometimes some giveaways. Thanks for tuning in and safe travels, everyone. Thank you for joining me today on PassPack. I hope you enjoyed the show and learned something along the way. Until next time, safe travels.